And we're live with our 162nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're super excited to have Mike with us again uh, today. Um, it's been a long time, even though we talk to Mike all the time, uh, we just haven't had him on the podcast. So we're excited to get his take on cloud security and other th- other items, right? Um, I did want to mention KernelCon training one more time. Um, KernelCon is about a month away. Uh, the class is filling up. I've been getting emails from the organizers basically telling us, you know, hey, there are registrations that are happening. So if anyone is interested, we'll pop the link in the show notes as well uh, about kernelcon.org training. It's in Omaha, the end of March. Uh, But that's the first time we're excited to be there again. Otherwise, we have a a really, um, you know, prescient warning from the FBI about QR codes that Mike was telling us about. Mike, what was happening there? Well, I mean, kind of a minor thing at the Super Bowl where a QR code popped up. I do love the fact that they used a DVD, like the, the, oh, the bouncing. Display. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very, I was like a throwback to the office. Um, but uh, yeah, right on time. Was it two weeks since the Super Bowl? They made sure to tell everyone not to do what the, everyone just did by scanning the QR code and opening it. I'm pretty sure like three people in my family were like, okay, let me just get this going real quick. <laughs> yeah. during that advertisement <laughs> well d- didn't it, on your I, wi-fi I, network <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm pretty sure it crashed coinbase too right like yeah. it was they were having a hard problem dealing with the traffic so yeah yeah coinbase yeah, has so. not had oh my god did you see that coinbase had a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bounty paid out for the ability to like still unlimited cryptocurrency yeah yeah i don't yeah, yeah. they're seems, not having it a still good seems pretty low that's a good bounty, but that still seems pretty low compared to what that person could have done had they used it. Yeah, no kidding. We saw we well, we saw that like we talked about it. Uh, I don't know which episode, but it was recent where it was like I don't know three hundred and fifty million stole stolen Bitcoin, and they're like, "Well, we'll give you ten million if you give it back to us." <laughs> and a t-shirt, and a t-shirt, and a t- pizza party. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, I personally, I, I use Coinbase. I like Coinbase. Uh, so, you know, hope, hope things shake out well for them in the end. I'm sick of gold, you know, good old, good old gold. Just, uh, just bullion in the basement, you know, <laughs> silver and nickels. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep it. You can just keep it bullion, bullion, uh, bricks down in the, uh, the old basement. Yeah. yeah the basement looks like from, uh, from Die Hard too. So. Just like that. Off topic, would you mind posting your address just for everybody on the, the, the chat? <laughs> sure. I'm in Gainesville, Virginia. Uh, <laughs> give away my address. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh. Times. And, and anyway, times. like if you can't tell, we, we we've known Mike for a number of years. Uh, we all work together at a consulting firm that shall not be named. Um, you know. For a number of years together, and since then we've been, yeah, 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 good friends. I think it's time to go back to Austin. Is really what I think. Right? Yes, uh, you know, yeah. DevSecCon, twenty nineteen, right? Scooters. scooters. Was it twenty nineteen? Don't drink yeah. in scooter. Or do <laughs> yeah. if you want to have a good time. <laughs> Potentially fall down, but whatever. Yeah, watch out for curbs. 
and chat for games. We actually had somebody asking us to go down to Austin, Seth. I forget who, but uh, yeah, somebody was asking for us to go down there. I was like, well, we just need a conference that it makes sense to train at, and we'll be down there. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And I, and I, you know what? We've been having discussions. Oh, uh, how did how am I the one to mention that Locomocosec is back and actually has a date? I don't. I, and I you don't know, know what it is? I do. <laughs> it's only taken three, four years. It's like June twenty seventh through the thirtieth. Yeah. Nice. Yes. So yeah. um, Oahu, right? Is that? Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that'll that that'll be good. Um, those of us that can make it will be there. Um, I don't know. We were, we were talking about the organizers to the organizers about doing like a code review workshop or something along those lines. I don't know what that'll look like, Ken, or if it'll happen. Um, yeah, I should be able to make it now that I understand. Like, I think I had some confusion on yeah requirements there and everything but yeah i should be able to make that one um so yeah it'd be a lot of fun man i i love loco moco sec it was and um just to put it out there uh there's going to be i think daycare for those traveling with families during the day so you'll have some daycare available if you want to bring out they actually really do promote the conference as like a family friendly event i know mike you brought out benny i uh brought out max and uh we just yeah it was a good time like kids were in the pool and then during the day we got to see our uh uh, the one track was awesome because like you you didn't have to choose. You get to see like great speakers all in one place, and there's only one track. And then afterwards, you just go to the pool and get some drinks and uh, hang out with the family. It was great. Yeah, it's <laughs> a super awesome conference. Um, really good content too. Like they had every single talk was really good that year. It's it's probably because I wasn't there, so just you know, yeah. just be prepared. Yeah. the The level is going to lower as you know. <laughs> Anyway, Seth tries yeah. to lower the level. He says, uh, "Yes, yes, yes." Declass. Take the lower. T- t- I, I advise everyone else to take the high road, so I can take the low road. No one else is on it. You know, <laughs> kinda... uh, no, Wahoo should be pretty fun. I think that there's a lot of. Uh, I think there's a cheesecake factory. No, I'm joking. That's, <laughs> wow, that's, that's blowing up over there. <laughs> Get some jalapeno poppers and. Uh... <laughs> Oh, wow. What are you talking about? <laughs> we, we, we have to this week. Thanks, thanks to this everyone like, that's listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like a crappy travel podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going uh, to rate on. the chicken fingies. We'll get Justin on to rate the chicken fingies. But the different chicken fingies. <laughs> yes. Establishment. Good times. Sweet times. Well, what's so, hey, I did want to follow up with something real quick, by the way. You remember that? Uh, you remember the uh, the, <laughs> the Missouri website that was basically just like putting people's social security numbers in HTML comments and all that, or whatever it was. I don't know, something like that. Basically, you just look at the, the source of the, the HTML page, uh, the HTML source of the page. You'd see is like unencrypted SSNs or something like that. Anyways, uh, the prosecutors have decided not to file charges. It sounds like. Uh, you know, for that reporter. So uh, I think we're, I think that's a good step or a step in the right direction. Good step. So thumbs up. Someone, showed them, news. someone showed them how to right click and they were like, oh, all right. We don't have a case here. <laughs> they're like, So basically I'm a hacker now is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. One prosecutor is going to charge the other prosecutor now. <laughs> for right clicking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
it's it's all it's all part of discovery at this point, right? You know. Yeah. Who every who single was the, person? Who, yeah. Who is the first person one? you right clicks on there is going right, to get charged right. now? Yep. Yeah. That sounds right. That sounds appropriate. Anyway, it's such a ridiculous thing. But it was nice to hear that they like backed off that because when we had first reported that story, uh, like weeks later, it was like. I mean, we initial response was, this is stupid. Like, why would anyone ever pursue this? Clearly, it's just idiotic. And then they're like, nope, we're still going to Ford with it. And, you know, it's like, what? But now, fast forward some more, and now they're not going with it. So that's that's good. Positive outcome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Any recommendations for Omaha? <laughs> is this for chicken fingers in Omaha? <laughs> yeah, J- Justin commented in the stream that he was he's he's down for chicken fingies reviews. So, um, but along those lines, right? Or uh, I, I should say, switching topics, right? Um, Mike has been doing a lot on the cloud security side. I think Ken mentioned that as we were jumping into it. Um, like. I mean, I, I can't remember, Mike, I think, you know, it's been a good year plus since we've had you on the show. Um, you want to give a little bit of what you've been working on lately? I, I mean, I know you, you and I work together as far as like consultancies goes on the AppSec side of things, but I know you push more into the cloud security side. Um, so just kind of give us a rundown of what, yeah, what you're working on, you know, what you can talk about and what's been interesting to you in the last you know, little while. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we've been doing a lot of right-click assessments. That's been a big. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's been a big, uh, big thing. Uh, big, big research area. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What, yeah. What about the double-click assessments? Is that is there anything there? You know, people aren't ready for that. People aren't ready for that yet. Yes. You know, that's it's that's twenty twenty-four. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. No, but. Yeah, spent the, the, I mean, yeah, we all have done AppSec work together, did, you know, we worked at a certain company all together, did a lot of AppSec work. Um, The past few years, I've pushed into doing more cloud security and my company does kind of more cloud security work, still a decent bit of AppSec. Um, But I've been fortunate to work on some really interesting projects around, uh, it's mostly been enterprises moving to the cloud from data centers, um, which is, you know, a bundle of fun and a bunch of different challenges. Um, and that's that's pretty interesting at an enterprise level, seeing the challenges and the way people kind of tackle that. Um, and then the past year or so, I've been working on an infrastructure as code project, which is, I think uh, it's really interesting seeing a company, a pretty large company do this like massive migration um, from how they used to do things in the cloud to a new way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's rebuilding all the compliance, all the security into a new system um, and trying to do it while enabling developers to have a lot more freedom. Um, so I think it's something we're going to see in more enterprises. They, they've gone from like adopting a very strict way of doing cloud to now kind of loosening it up more to, to let people have more flexibility over things. So I've been working on that, um, basically a, a huge Terraform project. And that's really interesting. And um I've been able to work with a couple of companies that are doing those types of engagements um, or those types of projects. Um, and it's pretty cool. It's like, it's a mix of AppSec work because you're actually reviewing code um, of how they're building stuff out with like infrastructure work and compliance and, you know, tons and tons of cloud. So it's a pretty interesting kind of place to play at. Um, 
and it's cool to see it being done not at like a startup but an actually a huge enterprise um it, you know it's slow slow going at times but it's interesting to see that since it's not just startups adopting you know multi-cloud and terraform and all that kind of stuff so that's been really interesting and i think it's it's just what a lot of people are going to end up doing in the next couple of years as they adopt more cloud um so it's been pretty are, are, cool are you engaged by like who usually engages is it the security team that reaches out to to you or is it like engineering or is it sort of like like what drives the uh basically you know hey i need someone to come in and help us uh and also like is it you know reviewing design or helping out with uh the the, the design plans uh reviewing configs um you know it's kind of it's basically all of it because it's like it's all of that. I mean, it's usually an engineering team that's leading the effort and then security um, hopefully is plugged in at some point to, to give their input. Um, and it really depends on the organization, how plugged in security is like everything, you know, sometimes security gets brought in at the last minute to try to kind of plug the holes. But um, the project I've worked on have been, security has been involved pretty early on. So that's been a huge, a huge bonus to kind of do secure design um, from the get-go. So it's, it's you know, how do you adopt any service in AWS or Azure and how do you do it securely? Um, so that's everything from architecture to how things are rolled out to identity, you know, everything. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. You're starting with like the basic building blocks of using cloud and building security on top of it. So, hmm. <clears throat> so I mean, have you found that, I, I mean, there's been an influx of tools from a you know Terraform perspective or almost like a static analysis perspective for the infrastructure as code stuff. Have you found that to be useful? Is it, you know, or is it so custom that it's not worth even addressing or even using? Yeah, there's a couple, I, I think um, it's a pretty interesting challenge because like, it's almost like the build time versus uh, um, runtime kind of review of an app. Like mm-hmm. there's different things you're going to see depending on, where you're doing that evaluation. So like with Terraform, there's a big pre-application. Um, it does the planning. It says like, this is what the end result's gonna look like. So you get some idea of what you're kind of getting, um, but it's not until you actually apply that that you actually know what the running state's gonna be like. And these tools, you know, they're static analysis tools and most of them are, you know, very simple rules. They're not even doing source to sync type of, type of um, flow analysis. They're just looking for certain fields and checking the, checking the, you know, parameter that is being set. Um, so you get into interesting situations where like you can check for really basic stuff, um, like is something encrypted or something named right. But then when you get into complex relationships, like, um, you know, are there two different databases deployed out? Cause if one thing's deployed out um, in a different workspace or in a different kind of Terraform stack, but there's a relationship between those two things. How do you, how do you sync those two things up together? Um, so it's basically like you have a, you have a static analysis tool that also has to analyze some state. And that's kind of a new, um, a new thing to dig into that I don't feel like we do in AppSec that well. Um, so it's, yeah. it's interesting in that way. No, I, I mean, I would agree. Cause I mean, it always falls back to that kind of the idea of the integration testing or the unit testing that. QA has done for years, but in AppSec, we, we've almost ignored it, right? Is it, that we've got these yeah. powerful tools or powerful, powerful ways of 
validating, you know, in this case, like infrastructure and, but it takes actually putting that state into place to check, to see what's actually what's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So are there any tools that you would recommend anything that's, you know, that has been helpful that we could, you know, just look along with the show notes. Yeah. I mean, I think the two big ones, TFSEC for Terraform is the big one. And then actually SEMGREP. Um, I think SEMGREP, I think for most folks, if you're moving into Terraform or some other infrastructures code, like just start using SEMGREP to write out the basic rules that you need. Um, because you can get into very crazy, like HashiCorp has its own language they built out, which has a lot of drawbacks, but um, you can get into like much, much more in-depth uh, kind of checks that do different, different, like looking at the state, looking at the, looking at the plan, looking at before changes, after changes, all that kind of stuff. But I think for a lot of folks, just dealing with the basics, um, like SEMGREP is a good place to start because you can write rules so fast and they're pretty easy to, to understand what they're doing. Um, but then you get into more complex use cases and it's not going to just not going to work for you that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the being able to tie things together in some form of a relationship is really the tricky part to all of it. Um, so I don't think it's, I think it's like a different, uh, a different, neural, like paradigm that we haven't found the right tool for yet because you're doing static analysis plus looking at live analysis of an environment. So I don't think anything like hits the mark completely, but some of these tools always get you the basics. Yeah. By the way, I have to agree. I I think in terms of simplicity, like SEMGREP is, I, and I know because, you know, I work for, work for uh, GitHub. I, I probably should be touting the CodeQL route but i think for simplicity's sake if you're like just trying to create rules um you know quickly uh i I think it makes it super easy to create those rules um and then in terms of like yeah deploying it it runs real quick it's super easy to Mm -hmm. like and intuitive to use like it's it's not uh, yeah frankly it's just an easy way to get set up pretty quickly so it's interesting though using that in a uh, infrastructure as code well that's what it sounds like anyways uh kind of reviewing configs infrastructure as code maybe use that for terraform or is it just exclusively like tfsec or is it a combination of the two <clears throat> uh, no, you can use it on you can use it on terraform as well they have a whole rule set for terraform and some grep so um the open source one i don't think is that built out but i'm sure people do have pretty big rule sets they built out that maybe haven't been shared yet um we're actually thinking about it on one of the projects using it in addition to the actual tool from HashiCorp to just have an, an additional layer um, of things to to check for certain patterns. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, I think the the thing is like with our industry, we went to let's build like the best mousetrap. Let's build like the most complex solution that does like everything super well. And then everyone's like, I don't know how this works. This is this takes too long to run. This like gives me garbage results, or it's just super complicated. And that's why like SEMGREP has gotten so popular is because it's just like simple and it works. And so I think for most folks, start with the easy solution versus the like perfect solution. So um, I've had quite a few clients that are like, Yeah, we bought some tool, we haven't set it up. No one, no one runs it, no one looks at the results. Can you help us with that? So like, that's the, that's the problem with security tools. So are there any common, like sort of mistakes that you see people, um, 
you know, commonalities in sort of maybe misconfiguring things or introducing sort of like, you know, flaws in general. Um, yeah. Any common trends that you, you kind of see and can speak to uh, would be great. Yeah. I mean, I think I, th we, you know, I work with like large enterprises and then some smaller companies and we do a lot of cloud assessments and I'd say like people are getting good at the basics. Some, some things in, in the cloud are so easy. Like you just turn on encryption by clicking a button or just like having a field set to true. It's not complex. Now you can argue how much security that really gives you since it's just server-side encryption in AWS and how many people have access to their servers. But um, so people are getting better about that. I think it's still, um, IEM is probably the biggest issue, either over-provisioning policies, um, giving too many permissions, not cleaning things up. I mean, like every company we go into and do an assessment, they have like old admin accounts with super old keys, super old passwords, or just, you know, people who don't work at the company anymore are still sitting in their cloud account. Um, so, and that's that's been true at small companies, that's been true at big companies. Um, I mean, I worked with a company that an intern left the company and then still had access to an enterprise account that they just started running Bitcoin miners in. So <laughs> fun. Yeah. That's like the basic, the basic stuff is still isn't done all that well. So. One thing you kind of pointed to though, or you kind of mentioned there was that <clears throat> it's like, yeah, you can easily configure, uh, I don't know, ACL rules, or you can turn something on or off encryption wise or whatever. But I think, <clears throat> and this is where I'm, I'm curious if, you know, folks ask you to do this is that when you start to take the entirety into perspective and you look at like the threat model, uh, and start delving into like risks and you, you start thinking of the security of those assets within like the cloud infrastructure and, and taking a layered approach to the security of those assets. Like that's, that's where I think it gets very nuanced, right? Like I would imagine anyways, where you're like, this service has access to this. And if, for mm -hmm. instance, this one machine is compromised and it has like uh, whatever the V1 is of like IMS or uh, IMDS. whatever it is. IMDS. IMDS, yeah. <laughs> then like, okay, maybe they can do some SSRF stuff to grab credentials and pivot throughout. And then like, yeah, it's, I guess it's just a matter of, well, I guess that's so just taking that and making it succinct and not just all over the place. Do people engage you for a threat model slash sort of design risk, risk based or risk focused design discussion? And uh, if so, how difficult does that get at like an enterprise scale? I imagine it's complex. Yeah, I think it's uh, people do do that. Usually we include it in kind of like an architecture review um, because most people are doing apps and putting them in the cloud. So kind of uh, there's that there's um, like cloud and apps like are so intertwined because you're using cloud services as part of your app and you don't even, you know, you don't, you're not writing um, a custom queuing service. You're just going to use like SQS. Um, and so the integration with that is just built into your code. So everything is kind of a mix of, of AppSec and CloudSec. And so when we do architecture reviews, we also have to look at those kinds of things of like, you know, how, how are these services that you're setting up uh, built? Like what is the baseline used to secure them? All those kinds of things. Um, so there's definitely a mix of like, of that, of kind of the infrastructure and the application that that's happening more and more, I think. 
Um, and I do think like AppSec's going to kind of blend in with cloud security or vice versa. Um, I think it's like those two, those two skill sets, I think are very, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, cause it's all like, everything is, is basically data and everything is code these days. Um, so, um, so yeah, that, that happens pretty often, but I think the hardest thing is like what people, um, what people don't think about when they use the cloud is like what their strategy is. Like they tackle it piece by piece. They're like, okay, we need to use the service. Okay. So what's our key management strategy? What's our IEM strategy? What's our like patch management strategy? And all of that stuff is technically easy to do in the cloud. Like you can automate so much of it. You can have integration with like a, with an IDP to manage users and things like that. But people just don't think about it until they're like deep into their cloud usage. And at that point, it's such a pain to kind of roll things back. Um, or they've been breached because they don't do a good job of, of managing these things. So um, Ken Tor and I do a talk. And that's one of the things that I talk about is like security needs to have a strategy and it has to be part of the like enterprise cloud strategy for how you do all these things because hey, it all has to be automated. You can't manually manage everything. And there has to be like uh, a full strategy that involves everyone from, you know, user onboarding to accounting to like data management, all that stuff together. And security is just one piece of it. But, um, but I don't think people kind of have that. They just adopt these services because it's, convenient it's easy to get going but they don't think kind of through the whole long-term strategy of how they're going to use it um but that's probably true in a lot of different areas i mean i like part of me understands from a skunk works perspective right like most Mm -hmm. of the cloud in large environments popped up because some group decided hey we're going to use this because yeah we can go roll out an ec2 instance it's only going to cost us you know what 10 bucks a month no one's going to question that charge and we're just going to get off and running we don't yeah. have to involve it <clears throat> so i understand how it's come about and then also from a startup perspective i mean it's very rare that i run into somebody that even has like a you know a coding standard when we walk into a startup right so the, the same yeah. thing's going to apply to the cloud as they just like well how do we do this and they go check AWS docs or Azure docs and stand up an yeah. instance and move. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't. I, I guess all I'm saying is I don't. I don't see it going away anytime soon. Um, yeah. Or yeah. Or being solved, right? Like yeah. Without for what it's sort of, worth. Yeah. <clears throat> I was yeah. going to add that our our teams to to Mike's point are focused on learning more about uh, cloud providers, obviously Azure's at the top of the list there for us. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're having to learn to your point about AppSec sort of it blending with AppSec, you know, having the cloud services. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's becoming more of a thing, especially as we delve into threat models around um, applications and how they're all architected. Uh, that's where I think it really comes into play to even just know, even just like the fundamentals of what service does what, um, let alone like the intricacies of how you could, you know, change configuration options around and what's the best way to do this or that, uh, just even knowing what those services are, um, and what they do. Yeah. Are pretty critical, I think. Or like, what are the major, you know, what are the major pitfalls too, right? We want to use blob storage. Okay. Is it like susceptible to certain things the same way S3 is in AWS? You know, things like that. Yeah. They come into play. Yeah, definitely. 
And I mean, I think, I think that's, I think companies are slowly, I mean, it depends on the company, but I think they're getting to the point where it's like, okay, we have an AppSec pipeline to run our tools against our code. Let's have a pipeline to run against our infrastructure as code. And you're going to have the same concerns. Like you're going to have to have a good rule set that, that protects you without making a dev's life terrible. And that's the tricky balance. I mean, that's always been true in security, but, um, but yeah, when you're running like a huge enterprise pipeline and you have, you know, you give people a lot of permissions to build things the way they want, you have to have a pretty good set of, of rules in place to make sure they're not doing the wrong thing, which is, it's tough. Like it's not an easy thing to do right all the time. So um, it's a big challenge, but I think there's a big opportunity there too, because it, you can give developers flexibility and you can have like pretty high fidelity rules that are good at catching these things um, and not throwing up a bunch of false positives. Um, the hardest part I think is, is defining your kind of uh, your uh, the way you want to adopt things. So like what the platform is going to look like, what the patterns are going to look like for the different patterns, defining that and then making sure it's like flexible enough and uses, gives people what they want from a service without making it insecure. That's like the constant push and pull between security and, and devs, I think, in the cloud world. Since you mentioned you work with enterprises a lot, I assume com compliance standards come into play here. So I guess uh, I'm curious if you've ever seen compliance standards negatively impact design decisions or positively impact design decisions, or if it's just sort of been like, uh, well, we're going to do what we do and we just make sure it falls in line with that. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm always curious if, how compliance, you know, things like FedRAM, uh, th things like, you know, um, SOC2, things like that. Like, how does it impact? How do, how do, how does it influence choices in the cloud, especially for enterprises that are like really, you know, so you mentioned access control, right? Like that's obviously a critical component of most compliance certifications is like, do you have a good revocation story? Can you point to examples of it? Things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, <clears throat> the companies that I've worked with are, are enterprise financials. So big banks or um, kind of mortgage companies, things like that. And so they're highly regulated. So everything has to be built out to meet those regulations. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it can have a big impact in how you have to design things, which can have kind of an overall bad ramification. Um, I mean, access management is still kind of the biggest, the biggest thing and and identity and who can access what. Um, so going from like a free for all where everyone has access to just like an account to um, strong vertical segmentation so that people can't access kind of different, um, different services someone else is using. Um, that's a big, a pretty big piece of it. Um, Cause then you get into like, some data is PCI or some services are PCI, but some aren't, those can't touch. Some is, you know, highly protected data and that can't, you know, touch like a, an application team that runs like a public um, app can't touch that data kind of thing. So like there's, there's all those kinds of like strong vertical segmentation you have to build out, which definitely makes things much less flexible for people adopting the services because you have to stay within those guardrails. Um, so I wouldn't say it's always a bad, a bad thing, like a bad design, but it definitely adds much more structure, um, which I'm sure a developer would be like, this is such a pain to like, you know, make sure I have all these 
things built out the way that this tool assumes that I have to build it out. Um, but yeah, that's just the reality of, of highly regulated companies is you're not getting around all of it. So um, I'm sure it introduces cost too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some things you can abstract away, but not everything. So interesting. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, like, the so can, the more you can oh, automate that stuff, the more you automate that stuff. Like if you just give someone, that's what I mean when I say like patterns, if you just say like, this is how you adopt S3 versus like, okay, I'm going to try this. Oh, that didn't work. I'm going to try this. That didn't work. That kind of thing. Like that's, that makes it easier for developers to, to adopt services without just stepping on rakes all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, and that's I, the, having the guardrails in place is, is super important, like for anything that we do. Right. But then I always, I always struggle. I always go back to that kind of chicken and egg problem when it comes to putting those guardrails in place, because, you know, your, your understanding of S3 or blob storage is going to affect like what, what guardrails you can actually build out. And if you don't have somebody on staff or you don't have a consultant that's, you know, queued up for you, how do you actually start, right? Like where is it that you turn to for that sort of a, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that sort of a take or that sort of a configuration? Uh, since, I, I mean, you know, if, if you looked at the AWS documentation or the Azure Azure documentation, it's very much like uh, developer documentation as far as, hey, if you want to do X, go forth and, you know, implement, mm-hmm. you know, this. Um, but it doesn't necessarily put into place the, well, if you want it encrypted, yeah, set this flag. Or, you know, yeah. you want to restrict data access, set this flag, right? That kind of thing. So, it, you know, I, I guess my, my question then is, you know, where does someone at a startup or a consultant that doesn't know anything about, you know, cloud security where do they start yeah i mean i don't think i think the biggest problem with any kind of any of these like benchmarks is they quickly become out of date like it drives me Mm -hmm. crazy where you have like cis which they're they're pretty in-depth benchmarks like they'll say click this button or like set this this field to be whatever um but especially with Azure, within like six months, it's out of date. Like Azure will rename some service completely different and the API will change and you just can't do what this what this benchmark is telling you to do. So they're good from a pretty low level, but the only problem with low level is if things change, it like doesn't work anymore. Um, so I'd say those, those are a place to start. They also, like if you take, we've been using the EKS um, benchmark, from AWS and it's good, but it's so, it's so kind of um, wide that it like touches on things that either you don't care about or you deal with some other direction or some other way. And so it's just such a big document and they're trying to cover all their bases that it's not gonna just cover all the things that you just really need to care about. It's gonna cover so many other things too. So I think a combination of like CIS, CSA has their whole uh, cloud security matrix, which is still a little higher level. It's not to like the API um, documentation level. And then just AWS benchmarks, like you can get most of the way there, but unfortunately it's not like, here's the 10 things you have to worry about. Um, just do these 10 things and you're good to go. So there's, there's, there's no OWASP for uh, cloud security. Is that what you're saying? 
Yes, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's some there's different cheat sheets out there and stuff like that, but um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think the problem is one size doesn't fit all for this stuff, so mm-hmm. you're always gonna have to adopt and adapt um, different different pieces of different programs. So it's just kind of tough. So there's no easy button. Okay, well, screw it. I don't want to know any more than yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you use you use machine learning and <laughs> you feed PCI the PCI standard into machine learning, and yeah, that solves everything. It solves everything. Okay. Come out with the answer forty two. That's yeah. always the answer. So, if you are a person who wants to get into cloud security. How do you do that? That's actually something I'm always curious about because, you know, like a lot of us who I I shouldn't put myself in that category anymore, but at one point I knew a bit about cloud security and, uh, you know, obviously I have the the AppSec background, but also I think knowing networking helped a lot too, like knowing the fundamentals of, you know, the OSI layer, networking, all that, that fun stuff, just having that background. Um, so I'm curious, I guess, what is the background that makes sense? What things, like, how would a person, you know, get into this? I, I would assume, obviously, learning about the, the services is a, is a start. But, uh, you know, what other, like, I know f- flaw, like flaws, what is it? Flaws.cloud or something like that. that Flaws.cloud. Uh, yep. Scott. Scott Piper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what resources yeah. are available, Think you know, generally? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I would say this to AppSec people too, like the best way to start learning is just to start building stuff out. Like, you know, start setting up EC2, start setting up networks, build out multiple accounts, um, you know, figure out how networking works between things, set up, you know, data movement, kind of operations, like all those kinds of things, just start using different services, which can get pretty expensive kind of quickly if you're on a budget. But, you know, if you if you try to stick to the free tier of things and not turn on any crazy expensive services, you can do it without charging too much. Um, But I'd say just, yeah, start building stuff out. There's no better way to learn than just jumping in and starting to set up services um, and then tear everything down and get charged 15 cents a month by AWS for some random KMS key that's (laughs) sitting somewhere. I I have one account that charges me like $3 a month and I can't figure out why. (laughs) Um, I have a 51 cent charge every month. (laughs) Yeah, I will find you. I will find you random service. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's probably the best way. And I mean, I think because cloud combines everything together, like there's a networking component, there's an app component, there's, um, you know, a strong API component, like no matter what background you come from, you'll bring a strength to it and you'll just have to fill the gaps in the other areas. Um, you know, I came from an app background, so understanding like application stacks, uh, was easy for me, but like the networking stuff, you have to learn more on that side, identity stuff. You know, if you come from an identity background, you'll pick that up and you might have to learn other areas. So I think any background works. Um, I think you just have to, you have to learn in the other areas you're not as strong, strong in, but um, I don't think it's one size fits all. I think you can take whatever skills you have and, and just pick up the other pieces. You know, it's funny. I say the same thing for learning like AppSec. You know, you said you said it. I mean, you build something and then that's how you that is how you learn. I mean, I've had people who ask me, you know, not even about AppSec, just programming. I'm like, well, the best way to learn to program is to have a purpose, something you want to build specifically and then 
just yeah. go and do it. And even if you don't finish, like the, the pitfalls that you you run into, the questions that come up, the stack overflow pages you visit, all of that stuff chops yeah. up to like, okay, I didn't know a whole lot in the beginning, but now, you know, it doesn't take long. If you work on a project for say eight hours, eight hours, even that's to me, that's better than sitting in a, in a classroom for, you know, a week or whatever. So yeah, that's, it makes sense that you say that you should just pretty much have something to build and go into the cloud provider and start building it, the cloud provider of your choice and start building it. And actually that's another question. Is that, is there anything you would, uh, sort of, yeah. Would you, um, uh, start with, well, I, I guess you'd probably be biased towards AWS, but, uh, I guess, does it matter if, you know, it's just any Azure AWS, is there any, somebody's trying to learn more about cloud securities or more demand that you see in one other uh, than the other? I mean, I think, I think most smaller companies generally start with AWS, but enterprises, I think these days are split between AWS and Azure. Um, a lot of folks, enterprises are using, from what I've seen from the people I've worked with, they use AWS for workloads and they use Azure for identity and like Azure AD and they'll slowly adopt some of the other services. Um, I actually see quite a bit of, quite a few people use like um, a runtime service in AWS to actually host their applications and then use like uh, artificial intelligence services in Azure to do some work and then just pass things back and forth. So. There's more, I don't, I don't want to call it multi-cloud since it's not like you're, you have the same workload in multiple places, but there's more like integration between these different pieces um, I see these days. I think AWS is like their documentation is solid. I think their services are pretty easy to understand for the most part. Um, I think Azure gives you kind of the easy button, but I don't think it tells you, I don't think you weren't much um I don't think you learn as much about how things actually work under the hood with, with Azure. Um, that's just my experience. Other people might think differently. Everyone has their own favorite cloud. I told yeah. Azure, so Ken left. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 yeah. you said AWS, you know, now that he's a Microsofty, right? Like that's. Yeah. Let's go get another Microsoft tattoo. Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, along those lines though, are you seeing, rise of any other sorts of like any other cloud providers right like I, I know that i run into people that are using sales like i mean they call it salesforce cloud right but definitely like salesforce services or um but even some of the like rack spaces uh you know digital oceans gcp right like uh, you know obviously that's yeah we, we have our own opinions about gcp right google cloud platform but are you seeing any others that are up and coming that may be more interesting to you? Or is it just, you know, mm -hmm. Azure and AWS? I'd say a majority is those two. I, I mean, every large company has a gajillion cloud, uh, mm -hmm. cloud providers. Like, yeah, everyone uses Salesforce. Everyone uses a million different cloud hosted, um, you know, SaaS products. That's like, I think that's a source of major shadow IT is just people, you know, spinning up the, if it's 200 bucks a month, they throw it on their corporate card and it never gets picked up um, by anyone in IT. Yep. Yeah, that's like a huge amount of services that are being used that never get, might might never get onboarded to like an enterprise cloud program. Um, and those are also very different because those are, you're very limited to what they offer in terms of integrations for logging and identity and things like that. Um, I mean, there's all these services out there just to, to 
integrate with those services to give you the actual security features that you want. Um, you know, all the CASB offerings to secure Salesforce or other yep. SaaS products. Um, so that I think that's becoming kind of a niche area of security itself where people are becoming experts in Salesforce and Salesforce security and how to manage things like that. I haven't done a huge amount of work in that area um, just because I, I feel like it's, you don't get to the interesting building blocks with those, with those cloud providers. They're, you know, um, they're not as low level, but there's a huge amount of work to be done there. I mean, all those things have so much data in them. Um, so that's where people really should take more time to understand how it's being secured and make sure it actually is being secured. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're, uh, you know, your statement earlier on in the discussion about how cloud and AppSec are, you know, will continue to kind of combine um, is appropriate because of that case, right? Like we have SDKs, you know, other things like other apps that we've used back in the past that, you know, they slowly, like we understand them more and more. There's more attacks that happen against them, but there's also more security controls that are built around them as we understand what they are. And the same goes mm -hmm. for the cloud. And we're using those cloud components now within applications, right? Like I run into applications all the time that are using something like, you know, um, the business intelligence tools from Azure, right? Like, you know, and mm -hmm. they're pulling data back and the protections there could be weak because it's, you know, it was just, again, an IT or a, you know, a skunk works project that somebody rolled out. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's appropriate. It's just, it, it becomes again, more of this kind of asset classification or knowing what's actually running within your environment or within your cloud spaces. That is a problem that we just don't know yeah. what we don't know. Right. Yeah. And can, that's, that's can, yeah, Ken's now, uh, at the spa, so just don't worry about him. <laughs> the spa. <laughs> Is that what it looks like? I am outside. Yeah, you're outside. <laughs> and it's rainy and gross. <laughs> uh, but I had to let some contractors in my office temporarily. So, uh, yeah, no. Uh, but was listening along, following along. So, no spa, though. I know. No spa. Oh, dang. No spa. Maybe in <laughs> Omaha. Maybe there's maybe at the embassy suites <laughs> in Omaha. There's some kick ass. You have, the, you have the hot tub in the middle of the room. It'll be pretty oh sweet. Just bed, yeah, toilet, no, hot tub. Are, hot tub. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a suite. Yeah. Embassy suites <laughs> yeah. rocks. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. A, I mean, it's it's an embassy level suite. So, I mean, truly, yeah. it should have a G. Actually, it's funny you say that. I was. Brief aside, I was in Ohio last weekend, another glamorous uh, location. Shout out to Ohio. Uh, but uh, I was in Ohio and we were at this like, yeah, some hotel and they had a little jacuzzi and it was, you know, and figured nobody be there. Nobody was when we went in there. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it was, we were just as a family just sitting in the jacuzzi. Five people come in there, and this is a tiny, tiny, tiny jacuzzi, like a bathtub, basically, right? And they're just like, they just hop right in, like, and there's an open pool right next to it. They're just like, hop right in, and they're just like, hey, what's up? You know, and I was like, is this happening? Is this something that's happening right now? <laughs> this doesn't make you uncomfortable, five random strangers, because I'm definitely uncomfortable. We're touching toes. Like, this is not an ideal scenario. So I don't want to touch your knees. family. It's family style hot tub, you know, just everyone <laughs> digs in. Yeah. 
there's some weird people out there. Anyways, don't don't know how that 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 plays a part in cloud security, but now everybody knows that story. So there you go. Yeah, okay. you don't want your clouds touching. I, I don't know something. <laughs> no, no clouds touching. <laughs> no clouds uh, touching. <laughs> um, yeah. So <clears throat> trends. What trends do you expect? I was curious about this one. Like what, you know, because for the, the, there felt, felt like for like a, I don't know, three year, four year time span, the big trend was, well, two big trends were stealing data from S3, like just poorly, you know, written policies or for whatever reason, S3 buckets being exposed. And the other one was, you know, crypto mining in cloud providers through stolen uh, keys. And I think there's been at least some uh, attempt on certain platforms to, you know, revoke accidentally committed keys or accidentally uploaded keys. And maybe that's helped. Maybe it hasn't. I'm not sure if those attacks are still the big ones that you happen to see these days on like, we'll just stick with AWS for now. But yeah, I'm curious if there are any newer trends, new, you know, new patterns of uh, attacks uh, or if it's still just like people, you know, posting posting keys, posting credentials, and that being the, the way way in or what? Uh, I mean, I think that's still going to happen. I think there's more, you know, uh, GitHub did the whole thing where it's like searching for keys for common cloud providers and then reaching out to get those shut down. And um, actually, Guard Duty has a new finding where if your temporary, temporary STS tokens are used from a different AWS account that's an account that's not part of your organization it'll actually flag that which is pretty cool so oh. if someone like uses ssrf to get um temporary tokens and they use it from their own account versus one of your accounts um it'll be flagged so that's like a that's a pretty good in-depth um finding for for someone abusing something like that so um but i think yeah that's still going to happen like people can just go low and slow with with discovered credentials i mean there's more more awareness of that. So I think that probably happens less and people, people have learned to use, you know, um, temporary credentials versus just hard coding credentials into everything. So I think that's getting better. But um, I think actually one area that uh, is really difficult to tackle, and I've had different clients deal with this, um, is kind of the insider threat from, from a cloud perspective. Like people do, you know, enterprises do crazy things where they're, you know, everything's going in and out of a single ingress, egress point. They're doing, you know, tons of cloud monitoring. They're doing all this stuff in the cloud to secure things. Um, but it's really difficult to say, is this developer who has access to a database just uploading a database export into their personal S3? Um, because it's hard to keep track of like, is this S3 bucket owned by the organization that they're talking to? And you can't really shut down access to AWS for like developers. So I think exfiltration um, via the cloud is a, is a big issue that hasn't been completely solved. Um, and that's, I've worked on some projects around that that are like tying disparate data together to try to get some kind of idea of what an inventory looks like to prevent that kind of thing. But it's, it's still pretty hard. Um, and that's all because, you know, AWS is on a common namespace URL, so you can't just block out, you know, some other company's namespace in AWS. So I think that's that's kind of an interesting area. And there's so many, like the cloud is a perfect avenue to to um, use for exfiltration because there's just so many ways you can do it. 
um, you know, depending on the rights you have, you can just dump it to your own services. You can use, you know, like replication policies to move data around. You can have open, you know, open queues, like a million different ways you can do it. So I think that's a, that's an issue. I'm not sure how big, you know, inside of a threat, I think is usually a smaller percentage of attacks, but um, still pretty significant. So I think that's going to be an area that cloud platforms are going to have to do a better job of kind of giving people the ability to lock that down and people just have to think through how to handle those kinds of issues. But otherwise I'm sure it's going to be, you know, uh, badly written applications that lead to, you know, grabbing credentials and then using that to, to either do crypto mining or just stealing data or just doing damage to cloud um, accounts. I think that's still going to be a huge source of issues. Um, but yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, Seth, were you going to say something? Uh, no, I mean, it, yeah, like the exfiltration stuff is not something that I've, like I've spent a lot of time, or I have not spent a lot of time thinking about, but I can see it being a, a massive problem, right? Um, yeah. I, I actually I mean, have a what, question what it, around that. Yeah, oh, go, go Sorry, it. go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like, you know, obviously exfiltration oftentimes we kind of rely on certain alerts and i know there's like cloud trail for logging and then that you can feed that into like a sim or something or you know cloud watch for specific types of alarms but i'm curious like are people typically aggregating their especially i would imagine the enterprise are they just aggregating their cloud trail logs and then setting up rules in a sim or are they just like uh, relying more heavily on AWS to to provide alert notifications and configuring with like specific CloudWatch alarms or you know specific rules or what's is there yeah uh, just curious yeah I, mean, <clears throat> I think the common enterprise process or uh, or pattern is to you know dump everything out to S3 and then some kind of steam picks it up and and ingest it. Um, so you'll have Splunk that's just pulling in a ton of CloudTrail logs. <clears throat> but the big problem is, um, and this is, you know, I think everyone who has a seam should should do this experiment, like do some kind of action in AWS. It takes like 15 minutes to hit S3 from CloudTrail and then your seam will ingest it, hopefully real time. And then how much time between it ingesting it and it hitting the alert, does someone actually get notified to something? Um, cause there's like, I worked on projects where there's a huge amount of time between when something happens. And I mean, by huge, I mean like 30 minutes, but that's more than enough time. If someone has access to, to your account to do some serious damage. Um, so like, uh, with all these different integrations from going from cloud trail to S3 to your seam to, you know, awarding to the ticket system that actually opens up a ticket. So a stock analyst can look at something like how much time is that taking before someone actually looks at an issue and starts trying to fix it. Um, but that's usually the common pattern. Some people do, um, you know, a lot of people use a, a cloud tool that will give them alerts based on what's happening in CloudTrail. Um, and then there's things like AWS config that you can set up alerts for. There's guard duty, which which just looks at CloudTrail and other sources of data and gives you alerts. Um, but most of these things still get funneled back to like some kind of seam or some sock, and then they have to actually action on those things. And I haven't seen too many great examples of socks that are very cloud native. Um, 
that know how to kind of um, take these findings and figure out how to solve them very quickly. I have seen some cases where like operations teams, cloud operation teams, they work with the SOC and then they, um, they actually have the ability to go in and fix things very quickly. But I think it's like a, it's kind of an upskilling thing where SOC analysts have to go from looking at endpoint logs, looking at what's happening there to understanding, you know, cloud trail and what, what those actions um, mean. So um, I answered a different question than you asked, but related. <laughs> no, you did actually. And I think it brings up, um, I think it brings up a good point of having a, a pretty flexible, uh, pretty robust response plan in advance. Like, I, you know, going back to the original beginning of this discussion, you had mentioned, you know, it's a shift from a data center to the cloud. And in a data center, you know, you have people physically on site. You've got, I mean, there's pros and cons to both for sure. Uh, but the pro being there is that you, like I said, you have people on site, you're in complete, you're in the driver's seat, you're in total control, unless you're, you know, leasing maybe a part of a data center, but otherwise, you know, you're in control. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is very much like, no, there's no centralized, I mean, other than AWS, I suppose, uh, there's no centralized um, sort of entity that belongs to your company, uh, like mm -hmm. man physically managing the servers. And so then, yeah, it comes down to like, if something you, I feel like you have to plan for things to go wrong because it probably will. And then, uh, but it better, you better have like a quick response plan and, and like have tabletopped quite a few scenarios. Uh, anything from the easy stuff like exposure of keys or whatever to like somebody's pivoting throughout the network and we have no idea how they got it, you know? And then you start looking mm -hmm. at like, Oh, was it an app that was compromised and like what services did it have access to? And anyways, like I, yeah, I do think it just points out, the need for a really good story going into it rather than after the fact, if you're, especially if you're an enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you see someone who's using compromised keys, like who's the person who's going to set up an IAM policy to block that session from those keys. Like there's no like easy button. You just click to kill, to kill access. Like you can kill the keys, but then the session might still live. And so like, that's kind of the information and the integration you need to have from someone like a SOC to a cloud operation operations team. Um, so yeah, it's pretty tricky. I mean, I think there's some, the cool thing that I've seen, um, you know, cap one is a big, big proponent of this, but they have their open source tool cloud custodian, which is like a very, it can be very aggressive to go out and fix things um, immediately. And so you can set up rules to just like shut down misconfigurations right away. Um, so that's, I think that's, that's not a model that I've seen adopted widely. Um, but I think that's the way we should go is, you know, you, you have your alerts, you have your SOC that looks at those. Um, but for really egregious things, an open S3 bucket or, you know, keys that are going crazy, something like that. Um, you just have automation that shuts that down. So um, I think that's, that's an area where the cloud is a really uh, big opportunity. I think that you can automate all this stuff. Um, you can try to prevent it the best you can with things like infrastructure as code security, and you can do really good alerting on things, but then you can actually have automation go out and fix stuff for you. Um, but you have to be a little, you have to be a little brave to, to allow automation to have that kind of access. Cause we all know the smallest mistake and it can bring stuff down. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's why I'm like, I feel like even with, everything being heavily automated i want i would feel comfortable with having a team 24 7 you know somebody to respond yeah. 
and with manual intervention, just because like, no matter what you automate, like you said, even your automation can cause problems. So. Yeah. I think it was, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was Slack that actually had some cool automation where it would alert the like owner of the keys if they were being used to do something suspect on Slack and say like, Hey, are you doing this thing? And if not, then you can say no. And it like revokes the keys. I think it was Slack. It was someone who had some pretty interesting. Um, I remember that talk. That, yeah. That yeah, there was, was still Slack, a human yeah. element, but, uh, but yeah, it was all automated besides that. So I think there's some, there's some what cool opportunities that? for that kind of thing. What? Yeah, I remember that talk, but I'm it's like Ryan, right? Ryan uh, Huber or something like that, something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it was. Um, they were using like an elk stack for detection, and then, yeah, like you said, revoking and shutting things. And I like, like, like you said, I think they sent a message in Slack, and they required to, like a duo push that you had to respond yeah. to and then if you respond to that and said it's like either okay or, or you're sorry you respond in slack to whether it was okay or not and then if you said it was okay you had to or even not you you need to like respond with a duo to like make sure that's yeah. you that's saying that uh, hmm. yeah that yeah. was interesting yeah that's pretty cool like if you can have really like high fidelity checks where it's like the only way this is happening is something really bad's going on that's i think that's a really cool way of doing it otherwise if it's like every five minutes you get pinged on Slack by some automation to be like, Hey, are you doing this thing? You know, like people are just gonna be like, yes, yes, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Or they'll set up a Slack bot to say, yes, I'm doing this. And they'll have their five-year-old answer their duo push or something like that. But so we're getting to the tail end of the show. So I want people to actually know your consultancy. Can you, can you actually like put out your, uh, your consultancy's name and I'll, uh, I'll put out. Like, we're, we're a stealth name. mode. We're a stealth mode. <laughs> stealth mode consultancy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, MBM consultants, MBM consultants.co. Um, reach out if you need any, need any app, app sec work or mostly cloud security, um, infrastructure, infrastructure as code, cloud strategy, all those kinds of things we've been working on for a number of years now. So, um, yeah, can help in a quite a few what's different your, areas. That I was sorry, I was going to ask, what's your OnlyFans page for MBM? <laughs> uh, tragically pale, um, <laughs> tragically pale on. <laughs> yeah. Ken asking the real questions. Yeah, for real questions. Yeah. Do you have a Twitter account for MBM? No, just my own, McCabe six fifteen. Okay, the aperture's out right now cool they can dm you with their their questions about your only fans page and other <laughs> cloud security topics yeah it's 99 cents per answer just fyi so <laughs> don't not, nothing nothing's free nothing's free in life yeah uh sweet sweet so yeah sorry well, seth go ahead no, I was just going to say, right, like we, you know, I, I do want to be cognizant of everyone's time. We've been going for just over an hour today. Um, you know, any kind of last minute thoughts, any last minute like recommendations that you have, Mike, before we close it up for today? Uh, I hear the Embassy Suites in Omaha is it's pretty great. Pretty sweet. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> especially especially uh, the end of the March. The spa is rocking. <laughs> find ken at the hot tub there uh with yes. a bunch of other people um 
By myself no. with red vines and uh, <laughs> yeah. crying erratically for no reason. <laughs> red vines. Yeah. yeah, just a box of wine. <laughs> yep, yep. Box of wine, cheap candy, and lots of tears. Yeah. That, 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 reminds, that reminds me of the time that we went to, uh, what, CVS, you know, and <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we bought wine. Right? CVS at like midnight with a <laughs> bottle of wine, some melat- like a ton <laughs> of melatonin, <laughs> melatonin for no good reason that we could explain. Uh, and like some other weird thing. I can't remember. Yeah. I the lady just something. looked at us. And she didn't fun even let go. Too. She <laughs> wasn't like, yeah, yeah, she said fun night plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah That's now i will sweet. plug um ken tor and i are doing a podcast on devsecops called relating to to devops um so check that out it's on spotify the other places um hopefully we'll have you guys on at some point to talk about your world as well yeah yep, absolutely yeah, that'd be awesome yep yeah, we'll we'll pop that in here. I know I've talked with Ken Toller about it a couple of times, so yeah, it'd be good to do some cross, yeah, some more interviews both sides. So yeah, great. You can so it's your relating to DevSecOps, relating to DevOps, not DevSecOps. I'll, I'll send you the no, I'm sorry, DevSecOps, ah, okay. relating to the number two. DevSecOps. <laughs> Looking hip. forward to seeing you at the Cheesecake Factory as well there, Neil. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. So I put your Spotify link in uh, for the podcast so people can go there um, and just click a link and be it, be uh, be open to your podcast. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, again, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the thoughts, Mike. Um, we'll, we'll catch everybody else online, though. Uh, do have after dark episodes coming we we're we're going to be doing a um cross promotion with hunter.dev and some of the apps that they are looking at as well uh, so watch out for that um yeah otherwise ken anything else before we close up for today uh that was actually the thing i was going to mention so no all oh, good okay sweet yeah all right well all right, thanks. thanks everybody for joining we'll, we'll talk next week thank you again mike